0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Good evening. We welcome you aboard for another edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss. I'm the senior advisor to the president here at Family Research Council and extremely honored to be sitting in for Tony this evening. We really appreciate you being a part of the program tonight. Uh, We have a packed Packed program. And let me just remind you before we even get started that if you miss any part of the program tonight, you can always go back and catch it at tonyperkins.com. There are also a host of other archive programs that are there for you. So please keep that in mind. Don't miss it. Spread it around. In fact, to your family and friends, tonyperkins.com. We have a jam packed program lined up for you here this evening. Among other things, the president had a uh, speech today about the economy. Wow, was it ever a speech. We're going to dive into that here beginning momentarily. Uh, But beyond that, we have some very significant religious liberties issues that go everywhere from Europe to right here in the United States. You want to stay informed as to what's happening there. Then also, woke corporations. Is yours a woke corporation? Do you have a a chance at your place of employment, of suffering the consequences? We will be diving into that as well. Absolutely a packed program. But let's get back to the president's speech that he had today. It was the first economic speech uh, that he's given so far this year. And in it, he was touting his economic record, uh, portraying it as something absolutely remarkable. Now we've got to protect those gains. We've got to protect those gains that our policies have generated. Protect them from the MAGA Republicans in the House of Representatives who are threatening to destroy this progress. Wow. Protect all the gains. I passed my gas station all the way here this evening. Gas is up 30 cents a gallon in the last week, uh, protecting the gains. Uh, the speech the president gave today was in the suburbs of Virginia. And all of this is looming at a time when we're having a debate about $31 trillion of national debt. We have a debt ceiling uh, debate that's underway. Uh, Joining me now to discuss this is Washington Times congressional reporter Harris Alec. He has been covering this, uh, the buildup of this speech for quite some time. Harris, thank you so much for joining us again on Washington Watch. We're glad to have you.
2: Always a pleasure to be on with you, Jody. Uh, This speech was quite a doozy, as you said, and I think it's one of the first speeches that we've seen where the president is really trying to set the narrative for how he wants the debt ceiling fight to play out over the next few months. Uh, He's coming off some fairly decent GDP numbers showing the economy grew at a 2.9% rate over the past quarter, and he's attempting to use this to kind of create this narrative for both Democrats and Republicans out there that the economy is rosy. There's absolutely no need to uh, change horses in, in midstream, and this comes just as House Republicans are gearing up for a big fight over raising the debt ceiling, which is the cap at which the government can borrow to meet its expenditures. Republicans are willing to raise the debt ceiling provided they receive uh, adequate spending cuts to rein the federal budget in. Uh, President Biden obviously does not want to do this, so he's out here setting the record and saying, look, the economy is great. Republicans want to uh, upend this entire uh, stability that we have, these good times, and this is essentially attempting to... Uh, portray Republicans as being fringe and, and radical and attempting to show that, you know, the the stability and the boom times of, of the Biden administration could very, very well be jeopardized. Now, the president, obviously, I don't know if he believes these statements himself, but it's certainly all part and parcel of a bigger strategy in which he's hoping to demoralize Republicans, uh, hurt them ahead of these negotiations. So they walk into them. Uh, vulnerable with polls showing that the situation uh, with polls showing Americans don't necessarily view them favorably. I'm not sure if this is going to work, Jody, but it's definitely interesting to see happen.
1: Yeah, I don't I, I don't, uh, have a great deal of confidence that uh, this is going to be successful for him. I mean, there's so many issues, and you brought up a number of things. I mean, he referred to the mega economic plan, and somehow that uh, Republicans are the enemies of a strong economy, all these sorts of things he has uh, been saying over and over repeatedly that he is not going to negotiate. Uh and really this attitude came across in the speech, didn't it?
2: Absolutely. And this is an attitude that he's shown for quite some time. And this is something that we've seen from President Biden. We saw it uh you know, he, he kind of plays two different games, right? He's the he's the United in Chief and he goes out and he gives these speeches talking about wanting to move past the era of division. And then he also goes out and he attacks MAGA Republicans and labels a large portion of of, uh, Republicans extremists. And uh, for a large part, this isn't anything new that we've seen. We are seeing it now kind of meld in with this broader economic message, but it's certainly something that I think has hurt him in in the past. But also, I mean, we saw him use this message quite a few times on the campaign trail last year, and it seemed to have worked with some Democrats, because mainly was focusing on topics like abortion and on topics um, that, for the most part, most Americans, you know, uh, weren't necessarily were were heavily divided on. With the economy, polls show over and over again that President Biden does not uh, poll well with the economy, that uh, American people have a tendency to trust Republicans more on this issue. So it's kind of interesting to see him try to um, use the extremist label in an effort to do that when polls show that most Americans do think that Republicans would be better for the economy overall.
1: Okay, so your opinion with this? I mean, here he is attempting to portray Republicans and their uh, agenda, if you will, their plan for a strong economy as extremist. How is this message going to be received? Do you think people are going to buy it?
2: Uh, We've got a long time until until the 2024 presidential election. I'm not necessarily sure how people are going to buy it. I think uh, both camps are heavily divided. I think you know Democrats are going to view this and they say, you know, that's right, that's exactly what we feel. And Repu- Republicans are going to say, you know, there he goes again. And I think the the middle people are going to, uh, you know, the the great American people in the middle are probably going to view this and they're going to say, well. You know, uh, maybe there's some truth to this message. Maybe there isn't. But I think at the end of the day, you know, the economy is a a bigger issue. And I think, you know, as you said, um, you know, when you're dealing with high glass price, when you're dealing with 8% inflation, it's kind of difficult to blame the other guys as being extremists when you're presiding in the White House. You know, the the buck stops with you. So I think uh, to be determined, that's how I would leave it, Jody.
1: Yeah, well, you know, the buck does stop there. And we're dealing with $31 trillion of debt, trillions and trillions of spending in the last couple of years and, uh, you know, I think this speech was uh, clearly a strategic effort by the White House to try to prime uh, the public for this debt ceiling debate that's coming. What, what, how do you see this debt ceiling battle playing out?
2: Absolutely. Well, look, this debt ceiling uh, fight that's looming is power politics at its best, right? Republicans now control the House, and they've got some leverage, and a debt ceiling hike can't happen without them. And at the same point in time, Democrats know that. And uh, as gargantuan as the federal budget is, you know, there are certain areas of it that are untouchable. You know, defense spending for a while has been untouchable. Medicare and Social Security for a while have been untouchable. So the areas where uh, that would be prime for cutting uh, are going to be areas, you know, these little tiny slivers that, Substantially aren't necessarily politically popular, that aren't bipartisan areas that only Democrats care about, like climate change, like electric vehicle credits, like issues like CRT, um, issues that frankly couldn't pass most in a Republican administration. But you know, President Biden is the president, those are his priorities. So he understands fully well that if Republicans succeed in pushing these spending cuts through, if he has to concede, that's going to jeopardize the next two years of his, of his administration, it's going to jeopardize his ability to push through some of these things that may not be broadly politically popular but are vital to the Democratic agenda. So this is a power fight, Joe. That's that's what it is, and it'll be fun
1: to watch. It is going to be fun and interesting to watch. Harris, I want to thank you for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. Your insight is always uh, greatly uh, received. We appreciate it very much. Thanks for being with us this evening. I want to, I want to shift gears now to a congressman who is actually I believe on the House floor right now, uh, and get his reaction to all of this, Representative Buddy Carter. He serves on the House Budget Committee and also on the House Committee on Energy and Commerce. He represents the 1st Congressional District of Georgia. Congressman Carter, my friend, welcome to Washington Watch.
3: Hey, good to hear from you, my friend. Uh, We miss you over here and uh, glad, glad you're doing this. Thank you for what you're doing now, but we sure do miss you over here.
1: Well, thank you so much. We've only got a, a few minutes here, uh, Representative Carter. Let me ask you what your overall your basic reaction to the president's speech today.
3: Well, you know, it's not really anything surprising. I mean, let's face it, Joe Biden doesn't have a clue, and 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 I mean that sincerely. This economy that uh, he has ruined in the two years that he has been president. I mean, you know, Donald Trump had this this economy humming. We had this economy humming. When you were in Congress, we, we passed the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which had our economy going. What was the first thing this president did? He he declared war on American energy. He ruined our energy independence that Donald Trump and that, that we in Congress worked so hard to achieve. And then we had the highest gas prices we've had in generations. We've got inflation as high as we've had in generations. And, and so so it's no surprise whatsoever to, to hear what the president's having to say right now.
1: Well, I've got a couple of clips I want to I wanna play and get your reaction to. But, you yeah, know, how does the president realistically think we're going to go on like we're currently going? $31 trillion in debt. I mean, uh, maybe maybe what you said that he doesn't have a clue. Maybe that's really what's going on here. But how does anyone in their right mind not recognize we cannot continue down this current path that we're going on? It's just stunning to me.
3: It is stunning to me as well. And listen, it's not just Joe Biden. I mean, Democrats, as you well know, Jody, uh, Democrats believe this. I mean, uh, you know, I, I had a Democrat who is a smart person, a, an intelligent person, and I respect him. And it tell me that, no, we should not have a balanced budget. Nobody would vote for that. Well, I must be nobody because I'd vote for it. But anyway, told me that. And then he says, oh, we should just raise the debt limit. We shouldn't even, we shouldn't even have a debt limit. How can you think like that when we're $31 trillion in debt? Right now, the interest on our debt, un, the interest on our debt is going to be the third highest line item in our budget this year. It will surpass what we're paying for defense. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He's right.
1: All right. Well, I want to I get to a, a clip or two and a control room. I'm going to go to a clip four first here. This is uh, t- uh, today Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries calling all you Republicans your extremists. Here, here's what he had to say. There's a big contrast between House Democrats
2: and House Republicans, between the Democratic Party and
4: the Republican Party, between Team Normal and Team Extreme.
1: Team Normal and Team Extreme. I mean, come on. You are now, uh, Congressman Carter, you are now considered extremist. We're trying to bring a $31 trillion debt under control. Give me your reaction to this.
3: Well, as a former small business owner, as you know, J.D., I I owned um, a number of pharmacies for 32 years. I I own my own business. Uh, You know, I I had to balance my budget. I had to sign the front of a paycheck. I, I know what it's like to have people depending on you. Here in Congress, we are guardians of the taxpayers' money. And to run up a debt of $31 trillion, over $31 trillion, that is intergenerational theft. We are digging a hole so deep that our children, our grandchildren, and their children won't be able to get out of it. Past generations didn't do that to us. How can we justify doing that to them? Think of all the money. Think of all the money that we're paying in interest alone on our debt. Think of what we can do with that money. Think of all the good things that we could do. And yet, here we are paying more on the interest on our debt than we are on defense. The number one responsibility of the federal government is to defend our homeland, and yet we are spending more on the interest on our debt than we are on defending our homeland.
1: Unbelievable. Representative Buddy Carter, thank you so much for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. We appreciate it. Friends, coming up, there have been multiple arrests of Christians for praying silently unbelievable you don't want to miss what's coming up stay tuned we'll be right back
5: would you like to spend consistent time in god's word then join family research council on an exciting journey through the bible frc's two-year bible reading plan helps you to approach daily bible reading intentionally you will dive deeper into the nature of god and how his word speaks into cultural issues of today all wisdom comes from god and he has given us the bible as a way to understand the world His word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey,
2: visit frc.org slash bible
4: First Peter 315 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online Center for Biblical Worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldviews monthly newsletter, visit frc.org/worldview. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, filling in for Tony Perkins, and we welcome you aboard. Okay, across the pond, across the Atlantic Ocean, in England, we're seeing a very disturbing trend, a trend of Christians being arrested for simply praying and for praying silently. It's unbelievable. We have thought crime arrests are taking place outside of abortion clinics where British law says that silent prayer violates a public space protection order. Here's a clip of one of those arrests. Is you standing here part of the protest?
6: No. no. Are you, are you, are you praying?
7: I, I might be praying in my
6: head. Um, so I'll, I'll ask you once more, will you voluntarily come with us now to the police station for me to ask you some questions about today and other days where there are allegations
1: that you've broken public the
7: uh, If I've got a choice, then no.
1: OK, well then, you're under arrest. If you ask- Folks, I tell you, this is... Um, such a vivid reminder of how thankful we should be regarding our First Amendment freedoms right here in the United States. But still, they are under attack here in the United States. And we are just watching this take place in Europe, and many of us are saying this is unbelievable. Is what ha- is happening there, can it be coming here? What's behind the erosion of some of these basic freedoms in European countries? How bad is it getting? Are we, as I said, here in America, are we next in line? Well, joining me now live from London to discuss this is Peter McIlvana. He is the co-founder of Hearts of Oak, which is a freedom of speech alliance. He also works in the office of the UK's House of Lords, Peter Thank you for your work. Welcome back to Washington Watch. We appreciate you staying up late to be with us. Thanks for having me on, Jody. Great to be with you. Well, thank you so much. All right. Uh, man, the, the American audience uh, might find this whole situation difficult to comprehend. Uh, so can you just kind of explain it from the British government's perspective? What's behind all these arrests?
8: Well, we have had a push, certainly the The abortion industry in the UK has pushed for restrictions outside abortion clinics for 10 years. Our abortion lobby is not as vocal as yours. The problem is the lobby for life is very less silent also and we have a l- very little pushback certainly from churches from organizations on the pro-life side for 10 years be the british pregnancy advisory group the largest abortion provider in the uk has pushed for what they call a buffer zone and that's a space where no one can be there protesting or opposing the abortions happening. So, the first time, uh, another order. So, while that has been fought through the system for 10 years, uh, they found out they could use another piece of legislation to restrict. Um, and that was first used actually just three miles from my house uh, in an abortion clinic in West London. And that made it illegal for you to do anything that may oppose or impede the running of that clinic that was the first thing in 2018 now we move further on and you showed one of the stories which was Victoria we've had another story in the last maybe 10 days of a a father a military man, a veteran and he went with his wife for an abortion that was maybe 18 years ago now deeply regrets it as is the story, probably across the country here in the UK and America. And he was simply praying outside the abortion clinic. He was arrested. So this legislation is supposed to be to stop people shouting, uh, being aggressive outside. And I can understand that there's a discussion around that, but these people are simply praying. And so it does seem as though the legislation that has been in place and. This further piece of legislation, which will enforce these buffer zones, which actually is in the House of Lords in uh, next week on the 30th, um, and that will seek to expand this across the country, which will, in effect, make praying outside an abortion clinic illegal.
1: Well, okay, that's all right. So movement is underway. Uh, that's encouraging to hear. Uh, when you're talking about the average person, uh, there in in England as they are uh, watching this, witnessing this. What, what's the reaction of just average people? Um, it, it's a topic that is never brought up. One one of the many
8: things I love about uh, about you across the pond there is there is a passion. There is a a something that wells up within people on the issue of life and uh, you see it on both sides and it means you can have it a bit. The problem with the UK is and I've been to so many churches, I've talked to so many church leaders, uh, I remember talking to different churches in that area when that first restriction came in 2018 and talking to them and their response was, Peter you're right, we agree with you, every life is important, we just need to be very careful because we could hurt people by saying that And that is a fear of offense, a fear of man, more than a fear of God. So that's the silence in the churches. In the public... It's an issue that is never discussed. I looked at the newspaper articles uh, whenever this was proposed, whenever the votes happened in Parliament. A lot of the big votes happened in October last year to push this through. And no newspaper carried any statement from any pro-life group. It was simply from the abortion side. So the public are not even getting both sides of the argument. They're simply getting a one-sided position. And if the churches aren't telling them what to think, if the media are not telling them what to think, if it doesn't come up in a conversation then people simply have not processed and it is a scary indictment I think on our society when our uh, when our public have not even thought through this issue and abortions often happen privately they're not discussed uh one because of shame uh because of many issues and the problem is it's not out in the open and if it was discussed Uh, amongst around the dinner table in the media in our churches people would be equipped and they could have the discussion and i think until that happens um i don't see any change the the last bill was passed let let me
1: interrupt you if i can we've got about 30 seconds left and thank you for staying up what message would you give our audience here in america who are listening to you right now real quickly
8: I would say pray for the churches to have a backbone and to speak up and to take charge. I would also say to you in the States that this will come to you. We are often five, ten years behind on these things. And what you see in the U.K., I hope, is a warning,
1: a wake-up call to you over in the U.S. Peter McElvenna, thank you so much for joining us on Washington Watch. Thank you for the information you give us. Keep the torch ablaze. Go get some rest. Friends, stay tuned. Coming up, you want to hear about what's happening in corporate America as it relates to woke ideology.
4: Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy in the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15-week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey.
6: They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, filling in this evening for Tony Perkins. And listen, I love this last segment we just had. Religious liberties are under attack. We're going to go further into that as we go through this program. And one of the areas that we are witnessing uh, religious uh, challenges, if you will, as it relates to our liberties, is in corporate America. Woke ideology continues to march its way through big business in corporate America. And it's, as a result, becoming increasingly difficult for conservatives to find a bank a broker uh, or other types of vendors that are not bringing their own radical politics into their business practices so one of the questions we hear a lot is what can we do about this what's what are the alternatives how do we push back against it and fortunately there's a new database that can help it's from the 1792 exchange which is an organization whose mission is to steer public companies back to neutral on ideological uh, issues and policies, uh, also score, literally score more than a thousand different companies on how likely these companies are to cut ties with consumers uh, uh, just over their beliefs. Uh, So this is a much needed resource, especially in the days in which we're living. So joining me now to discuss this, is Paul Fitzpatrick. He's the president of 1792 Exchange. He's a former FRC team member for many, many many years. And so, Paul, we welcome you to Washington Watch. Thanks for the incredible work that you're doing.
0: Jody, it's my honor to be with you. I I was so blessed to work in that building where you're sitting right now for 20 years. And uh, I'm just so glad to be on this show and just want to help educate folks.
1: Well, listen, we're proud of you too and and how the Lord has opened new doors for you and what you're doing right now is such a significant task in the day in which we're living. So let's just start there. Uh, Let's talk about the the new database. Tell us about your organization. What is 1792 Exchange uh, and what are you doing?
0: Uh, That's a great question. I'll start with the
1: organization. We
0: exist to protect free exercise, free speech, and free enterprise, and as you said, to engage woke corporations to help move them back towards neutral, so they focus on returning shareholder value, treating their employees and communities and vendors with respect, and we, we like you, have seen the threats posed by the left. The last institution the left took over, as you alluded to in the, in the intro, is corporations, And what we've seen is a marriage of big business and big government and the progressives leveraging that to actually silence people. We have examples we can go through of websites being shut down, being deplatformed, books like Ryan Anderson's When Harry Became Sally being pulled from Amazon. We know that FRC has had many vendors, as you shared today, say that they're not gonna work with you anymore for ideological reasons, conservative positions or biblical positions. And so what we did is we realized if you're running a business or a nonprofit or frankly, just running your family, you do not have enough time to evaluate all of your vendors and what are they doing? What's the risk? What's the likelihood that they're gonna cancel you or deny service for ideological reasons? So as you said, our team has spent countless hours. We've evaluated over a thousand companies and we've rated them on their likelihood of canceling or denying service and so you have they a company could be high risk medium risk or lower risk and uh, so we're really excited about that and we want folks to use it the whole idea is we to get them to dive in and get educated and i can talk more about that as well
1: okay that that that's phenomenal you know and unfortunately Paul, we're living at a time where this is necessary. I I think a lot of people scratch their head literally wondering why are corporations engaging in issues that are not even related to their business? What is the drive, the motive behind so many of these corporations getting involved politically and uh, becoming woke even when it has nothing to do with their business?
0: that that's a great question jody um the the largest lever pushing on corporations are the the three big asset managers blackrock state street and vanguard and your viewers may not be familiar with them but those three companies together control roughly 20 trillion in assets the us economy is roughly 20 trillion and so that just shows you the massive influence they have because we put our retirement funds pension funds into these companies, and what they do is they put pressure on CEOs to encourage them, and sometimes it's under the banner of ESG. Your listeners may be familiar with the environmental, social, and governance principles that are within those, a lot of radical agendas, obviously on the energy, space, trying to shut down anything in fossil fuel, and the S of social, that's really where the greatest threats to our freedoms come from, pushing agendas ideological agendas, sexual agendas and, and and racial agendas unfortunately divide us as well. And so these big asset managers put pressure on CEOs and behind the scenes we believe they're they're saying we're not going to back your company. We're not going to finance your next deal. We also know that publicly asset managers and banks other financial institutions are joining together to sign agreements and these alliances on the on the E of ESG, to say we're going to get our portfolios and our investments to net zero, and that would be by 2050. So they're going to cut out fossil fuels. Which what does that do? That empowers China, and that's a whole. Maybe we do it a whole nother segment on that. But Paul, let me let me say, interject
1: here. We've got uh, less than 30 yeah. seconds. Where can people go okay. to learn more and to get on board uh, with what you're talking about? Uh, 1792exchange.com.
0: The corporate bias ratings. It's the first in our series of our spotlight report. We're putting a spotlight on these corporations. One, to show bad behavior, but two, so you Thank can you, know Paul. where to- I got to spot- run.
1: Where- All right. Hard Thank break you so here. much. Folks, coming up, we're going to deal with a former police who had to resign over religious-
6: What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood
4: Visit FRC.org slash internships to apply.
1: Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, filling in tonight on Washington Watch for Tony, and I want to thank you for being a part of it. Look, we, we, we just had a discussion with Paul Fitzpatrick about cancel culture, moving into corporate America. We're about to have a guest that uh, is just going to uh, really shake you in terms of what he has just experienced, and it has to do with this cancel culture with religious liberties being attacked right here in America. So we're living in this time, and I want to urge you, don't miss the chance to get Tony's new book uh, about the cancel culture. It's called Jeremiah Courage in a Cancel Culture. The 40-day study guide. Uh, It goes through incredible lessons from the the prophet of Jeremiah, his his bold stance for truth, the warnings that came from the Lord about judgment, uh, and it's so encouraging with some of the greatest promises in all of the scripture. We are living in a day that we need to be prepared for what our culture is throwing at us, and I want to encourage you, I want to urge you And thank you for those of you who have already done so. But I want to encourage those of you who have not yet order your book, uh, Tony's new book, you can do so by simply texting the word Jeremiah to 67742. That's Jeremiah, J-E-R-E-M-I-A-H, Jeremiah to 67742. And get your copy right away. All right, when the uh, let's go to this light, you're going to love this guest coming up. I'm looking forward to uh, meet him and speaking with him myself. But when the so called respect for marriage uh, passed last December, many of us were calling it then the Disrespect for Marriage Act because what was in it, we were warning people here at FRC and in different places, people were warning Congress that this legislation was going to have devastating effects on Christians who hold to a biblical worldview regarding marriage. Well, we're seeing it happen. We're already seeing it. Uh, Our next guest is a former Georgia police officer. He was suspended and was, in essence, forced to resign. He chose to resign, but under tremendous pressure, after being told that he could not share his personal religious views regarding marriage on social media. That's right. Earlier this month, Officer Jacob Kersey posted uh, on his personal Facebook account, God designed marriage. Marriage refers to Christ in the church. That's why there's no such thing as homosexual marriage. That's what he posted. And what happened after uh, is just what we were warning people so much was going to happen uh that's really what it what it was. Now we have a redefinition of marriage that's been codified into federal law. And now joining me is former officer police officer Jacob Kersey to share his story. Jacob, welcome to Washington Watch. Uh we're honored to have you with us.
5: Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and uh speak with you.
1: Well, we saw your your post Uh, basically a paraphrase from Ephesians 5, what the Apostle Paul had to say about marriage. Uh, You put that on your Facebook page. Uh, Tell us what happened after that.
5: Yeah, well, after I I posted that, I received a call from my supervisor telling me I would need to remove it, um, saying that someone had complained. Um, I told him I wouldn't remove it. And so, uh, long story short, I came in, had a meeting. Um, I was led to believe I was being fired originally. Um, They told me to turn in everything that belonged to the city. Um, so I had a long, restless night, uh, you know, trying to figure out if I really wanted to lose my dream job over this. Uh, go in, uh, tell them I will not remove it, and I was told I was being placed on administrative leave. And then a week later, uh, when they brought me back, they they told me that um, I could come back to work, um, but they're creating a new department policy that says that if someone somewhere is offended by anything else that I say from here on out, um, that I could be fired for it. And um, I did not believe that my department had my back, and uh, I didn't really want to go back and play that game and just wait to be fired because I'm—I know it would happen at some point, and I just didn't think it wise uh, with as dangerous of a job as law enforcement is.
1: Well, Jacob, in reading uh, your story and how it's come out on some news outlets, uh, one of the things that struck me was not just the story itself and what you. Have experienced what you've gone through, but the attitude of your superiors towards the scripture itself—they were—they literally, in essence, said that referring to the scripture was the same as using the worst kinds of racial slurs. Uh, tell us a little bit about that.
5: Right. Well, yeah, I, I was—I was told that the, the the post that you all seen in the, at the beginning of this segment. Was the same thing as using the N word or saying "F all those homosexuals." That that's what my chief told me at least, um, and, and the leadership at that police department claims to be Christian, but I, I just I I don't understand why why they would say that an outspoken Christian is, is the same thing as a as a racist. It, it's just absolutely ludicrous. Um, to try to, you know, equate me to a, a racist who hates people based off the color of their skin because I believe in God's design for marriage.
1: Absolutely. And, Jacob, just for our, our viewers and our listening audience, how old are you? I'm 19. Remarkable. I mean, here here a 19-year-old man standing up, possessing, literally possessing a solid, biblical worldview, embracing that, understanding it's under attack, and unwilling to let go of it, even if the consequences meant tremendous personal loss and sacrifice. So uh, why why was it so important to you not to back down? Why was it so important not to delete that post?
5: You know, there's so many young people today. Um, who are influenced more by TikTok or YouTube or, or social media or their friends about what to believe about the world and how it works than what Scripture teaches. And my heart is just to, to really have a firm foundation in Scripture um, and, and to share that with, with other young Christians and young believers. Um, we really, really have to, to understand that this isn't all just a, a big political game. This is a spiritual battle that's going on right now. And Satan wants to dominate in every area of life. He wants to dominate in entertainment. He wants to dominate in sports. He wants to dominate in your home. He wants to dominate in your church. He wants to dominate our military and our law enforcement. And, and he wants to dominate our hearts. And, and if we, you know, back down, uh, you know, you, the, the old adage is you give the enemy an inch, he's going to take a mile. If we give Satan any wiggle room at all. He's going to step in and he's going to dominate. And, and Christ is king. And if we're believers and we really believe that, then we should be fighting for his comprehensive rule overall, especially over our hearts. And we should stand for him and his word.
1: Well, Jacob, uh, I'm reminded listening to you of Psalm 31, verses 19 and 20, where it says how great is the goodness of God that he has prepared for those who fear him and that he has stored up for those who trust him in the presence of the sons of men. And I, I want to thank you for your courageous stance that you have taken. I think I know the answer to this final question, but I want to toss it out here to you anyway. As a uh, Serving as a police officer has been a lifelong dream of yours, uh, but not if it required you abandoning your faith to do so. So do you have any idea what your plans are next?
5: Um, not entirely certain. Uh, I, I know that, um, you know, there are opportunities to, to go back into law enforcement, possibly. I've had, you know, people reach out and suggest places to go work. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think of, I think of the scripture, and I have ever since this all started, um, where Jesus called... Peter, and and he left the fishing boat behind, and, and fishing was everything to him, and, you know, I, I really, really enjoyed being a police officer, and that was a huge part of, of my identity at, at a young age, and I look forward to, to doing that for a long time, but, you know, you have to follow when Jesus calls, and uh, wherever he leads, whether it's, uh, you know, with my, with my podcast or into ministry or college or, or, or even if it is back in law enforcement, if I'm following him, I know I'll be where I'm supposed to be.
1: Jacob Kersey, we thank God for you, and there are thousands and thousands of people all across America right now who are touched by your story and are praying for you and looking forward to the doors that God is going to open in your your life uh, for the next chapter. Thank you for joining us this evening on Washington Watch, Jake.
5: Thanks so much for having
1: me. Our pleasure. All right, friends, great story there, and we can all appreciate the courage of men and women like Jacob uh, look, our our culture has become increasingly hostile to those who embrace a biblical worldview, and many of us saw this coming. As I referenced a little earlier, uh, we saw this coming with the disrespect for marriage act, and there were many who were uh, screaming out. Nonetheless, we still had twelve Republican senators who went along with the Disrespect for Marriage Act, which codifies same-sex marriage into federal law, and all the while they claimed that it had robust protections. fact, here's what one of those 12 said in defending his vote for the bill. This bill protects religious liberty and conscious protections available under the Constitution and federal law, including the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, Commonly referred to as
2: RIFRA,
1: that was Tom Tillis of North Carolina. Could he really not see this coming? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Travis Weber. He's the vice president for policy and government affairs here at the Family Research Council. Uh, Travis, welcome back to the program. Glad to have you. Thank you. <clears throat> well, let's let's just uh, jump into this. I, I just you you heard me say. Twelve Republican senators went along with the Disrespect for Marriage Act, as we call it, uh, as well as quite a number of House Republicans. We said this very thing would be the result, and, and yet we were told all the while by those who supported it there were all kinds of protections in that particular bill. Uh, we've seen woke corporations go after employees for their beliefs. Uh, it's, it's chilling. It's chilling. Uh, now to see all this unfolding. So uh, let me just ask you, how how should Christians prepare uh, for potentially facing similar situations yeah. as we just saw with Jacob?
9: Sure. Yeah, Jody, I mean, this, this really brings together a number of things that we are concerned about. First, uh, that police officer should be commended for his stand, for his courage. I do think believers who want to be faithful to the biblical position of their faith, not a matter of taking a political stand or a stand on any other ground, but simply a biblical one, are going to come under increasing pressure in the months and years to ahead. Jesus told us this would come to those who wanted to remain faithful, but it's important to prepare our hearts for that coming battle. In this regard, I'd refer people to Pastor Andrew Brunson's resource, uh, Prepare to Stand series that he, he has developed for those to work on their heart and their relationship with God, which can carry them through the fire. That is at frc.org slash prepare to stand. Jody, going back to the the issue at hand in this segment, as you noted, um, we we called for religious freedom to be protected in the Respect for Marriage Act. And ultimately, uh, Democrats and a number of Republicans, 12 Republican senators and, and some others in the House, Refuse to take a stand in favor of robust protections. I'm looking at the bill text now, and this bill text does not include anyone like Jacob, the police officer we were just discussing. It includes references to religious nonprofits, other faith based social agencies. In limited context, in the context of them proving they're advancing a religious purpose. So the point is, even these protections, which we heard Senator Tillis claiming were robust, do not even come close to protecting people like Jackie Jacob. And you know, really in what's happening here, it's like those senators, you know, there's a, a meat grinder rolling over those people of faith who want to hold to their beliefs. And the senators are not driving that grinder, but they could have helped stop it or slow it down by refusing to go along with this bill. But they kind of said, you know, we don't really want to step in front of it or try to help. So we're just going to stand to the side and let it roll over people of faith like Jacob. And, you know, and so, yeah, they're not pushing it, but they're certainly acquiescing and they're part of the problem when they step aside and just let religious liberty be steamrolled. So, We're going to have more of these situations in the months and years ahead. Commend Jacob for his faith. Believers need to realize this, though, to prepare so we're not surprised when these things happen.
1: Yeah, and you wonder where are those 12 senators now and those in the House as well that supported it. Are they now going to jump on board to help people like Jacob? I mean, they were responsible for making this happen. And as you brought up. Travis, the, the First Amendment does not simply protect churches and nonprofits and religious organizations. It protects citizens of the United States, and it does so recognizing that these rights come from God. They don't come from government, and yet now we are watching government uh, open the door for yeah. this type of thing, and that's chilling to
9: me, is it not? Absolutely. we We should be concerned about this, you know, especially when we look at – this was also cited by those, you know, who tried to defend the Respect for Marriage Act. They, they pointed to a, a, a section that says, diverse beliefs about the role of marriage, so on and so forth, held by reasonable and sincere people. Um, Congress affirms such people and their diverse beliefs. So w- do we see that affirmation? Do we see the affirmation for Jacob? Do we see any of these 12 Republican senators calling, you know, publicly supporting him and saying, good job? No, we don't. And so this was, these words mean nothing When inserted, we got about thirty
1: seconds. Yeah, got about thirty seconds.
9: This, we, we have to be aware of these things are you know coming. The legal issues aside, it's a complex legal issue with a public employee. We have to prepare for these things coming down the pike. Travis Weber, thank you so much for the
1: incredible work you do at FRC. Thank you for joining us this evening on Washington Watch. Thank you. And to each of you, thank you so much for entrusting this hour of your day to us. Stand strong, stand firm. Don't be overcome by evil